Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. We have to understand that when God gives us directions, He will give us the next direction. But you have to be obedient first. You can't get ahead. You just can't get ahead of God. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight. I'm thinking to myself. But maybe there's specific things that you've been working through. So just understand that. It is hard to wait. We get excited. We've been there. We get fed up with the situation or the possibilities of something new. Man, let's go. Let's go. Let's make it happen. But if we try to make it happen, it's a disaster. Did you ever feel like God had given you a plan, a direction for your life, which was so clear that it seemed like it had already happened? Did you then jump right into whatever the plan was, only to crash and burn? That really hurt, didn't it? Well, David had the same dilemma. God had already anointed him as the next king of Israel. As Pastor Mark will be teaching, the challenge for David and for you is to wait for the not obvious timing, but God's timing. Running ahead of God almost always leads to mishaps. Waiting to move until God moves first will help to ensure success in the ways that God judges success. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 1 Samuel chapter 24 as he continues his series, The Life of David. going to study the word with us tonight, you need a B-I-B-L-E, a Bible. If you didn't bring one, just raise your hands. We'll be glad to get one to you. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel 24. Now, you know the history. David has been anointed the king. Saul is the king, and Saul's jealous of his son-in-law and all these kind of things and is always looking for a, a way to kill him. And God's been protecting him. And we start with this little series again because it just continues. And that's kind of the way life is sometimes. Spiritual warfare just continues. And of course, David has now with him 600 men. Saul has many more, but David has 600 men. They're all on antidepressants and things like that. And uh, he's, he's working it through with them, trying to keep them encouraged in the Lord. So we begin 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Remember, God miraculously delivered David. Saul was just about to get him, he thought, when uh, the Philistines attacked at that exact time. And so Saul was taken away, had to go back and fight. And, of course, that freed David once again by God. Saul doesn't get this, but, of course, God's directing all of this. 
Saul himself is not being directed by God. Saul is being directed by Satan and his own anger at David. As you continue to see this over and over again, it should remind you that we do have an enemy that's after us constantly. Let me just read to you tonight, 1 Peter 5.8, be controlled, self-controlled, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So that spiritual warfare is always ongoing, and that David's been freed again. He doesn't know how close he came, but now Saul's gone, so he's, wow, here's another mountaintop. This is great. But what happens? You're going to see in a moment, there's the relentless pursuit of David by Saul, because the enemy is always there. Now, we don't have to fear, but notice that scripture says, be self-controlled, be alert. Don't be fearful. We talked about that. No fear. You don't have to have any fear. God's there. But we have to be alert at what's happening in our lives. Now, verse 2, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, in Gedi, the name literally means the springs of the goats. And you'll see that picture. There it is. It's gorgeous. When we go to Israel every year, we always stop by this place. Sometimes we actually hike all the way up to it. just depends on the number of people and the timing and so forth. And sometimes it doesn't look like that. Sometimes there's just a little trickle of water, depending on the year. But this was always, as you look at that picture, this was always one of those places that was a refuge for David. David knew this place well. And even though there's many springs around the Dead Sea, most of them have a high salt content. But this is one of those springs that it's beautiful. Remember the song, As the Deer Pants for the Water? That's kind of where all that came from, is that wonderful place there. It's the best spring to kind of get by. It's also mentioned in Song of Songs 114. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. So those places are strategically placed throughout the Bible. So the next picture, when you go there, you don't always get to see this, but you often do. There's the wild goats. They're called the ibex. And so it's amazing when you when you, you know, we always have the people there, and we just turn to this passage in First Samuel 24, and if you go to Israel with us, I say to you, and we read, we're at En Gedi, and then one of these suckers runs right by us, <laughs> and we say, what was that? Well, right here, and so right in your Bible, I was here, and you can't beat it, because there's the scripture, there's the place, David was there. Some 3,000 years ago is kind of where we're talking about in this particular time. Now, he came, verse 3, to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. So you already know what that is. He's not taking an iced tea break. He's going to the restroom. And David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, if we want to have a comedy night, this could be a comedy night. You can see the picture, can't you? Already. After a long journey, there were no restrooms on the way, so Saul found one. He goes into the cave. 
Of course, he's going to go in alone. He's not going to take any of his men. We're not into that. He doesn't want anybody around. So he's going to go back into that cave alone. He got the key from the attendant. It's men only. He walked into the cave. And as he goes in, he doesn't know. But as he's in the stall, he doesn't understand. But right next to him, you're going to see David is in the stall right next to him. He doesn't even know he's there. So put this in your mind because this is kind of a funky thing. It's kind of fun. Now, verse 4, and when the men in the back of the cave, we don't know how many of the 600 were there, but there, just picture it, the light's out there, and Saul comes in, there in the dark, Saul has no clue what's back here, but these guys can see everything out there. And so, notice what they say in verse 4, the men say, hey, David boy, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. You see, what did David's men see? An open door. I mean, how does it get any better than the guy that's been trying to kill you forever is going to the restroom, going to be occupied, and there's nobody around him but David and his men. So they look at this as an amazing open door, not just a coincidence, but they look at this, that God had orchestrated this open door exactly at the time and the place. So they're saying to David, David, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to you. Now, we're going to find out That this wasn't an open door for David to kill Saul. This is going to be a circumstance that God arranged to test the motive and the integrity of David. Sort of the men, it's an open door to finish this guy off. Now, why would they want that? Well, let's think about this. If Saul gets to David and can kill David, you think you kill any of the men with him? For sure. So they have some vested interest in this. And so they're saying, Saul, praise God, we've been waiting for this forever and God's done it. You've been praying and here it is. But we're going to see some other things that move along. So first thing I want you to write tonight is this. And it's a great caution for me. And it's a great caution for you. It says this. Sometimes God arranges ideal circumstances to test our integrity. You see, when we're looking for an open door, we can walk right through one if it looks like God's arranged it. You're going to see in a moment, this is not an open door to do what the men think. But our natural tendency is, if I'm hurting and God does this, this is the door. I'm going to walk right through it. But that's when we have to be led. We have to be led by the Spirit. God's timing is always involved with this. Now look at the end of verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So Saul probably took his robe off. kind of tells you what we're going here, what's happening. Set it down, hanged it on the corner. Dave snuck underneath there in in the next booth and just cut the corner of it off. Saul is unaware of this, what's really happening. So David quietly does this, cuts that corner, and think about Saul's garments. 
Saul's robe would have been really expensive, probably fringe, design on the bottom for the king, dyed, special, whatever. And the robe really in those days, unlike us, it symbolized power and authority. So notice as he cuts it, somebody wonders what's really happening. Now, as you can think about this, what is David doing? Well, he's passing the test because he's just clipping the corner. But you're going to see in a moment, that even bothers him. So the next thing I think you want to write is this. What is happening? David realizes, and you'll hear this all through the teaching, he cannot take the situation out of God's hands and put it into his. So David passes a test by not taking things into his own hands. Now, anybody here tonight ever take any situation into your own hand? How'd that do for you? (laughs) Been there, haven't we? We've definitely been there. It doesn't work out well. David understands this. His men will not. But David understands this. And I want, I want you to take a little trip with me because I was praying about it this afternoon. This teaching is so important for us because God's will is what we want. And God's timing is always involved in that will. It really is. I was talking to an individual today. God gave them this vision and it's now eight years later and it's just now happening. And the individual in my conversation, he said, God's finally brought the right timing. Well, that's it. That's what happens in all of our lives. Now, if you will, let's turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we're just going to play through quickly some of these circumstances where people take things into their own hands. Sometimes we forget what that looked like and how ugly it is. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram said, sounds good to me, and agreed to do what Sarai said. Now, what do you have? They've been waiting for God to fulfill his promise. They've been waiting. God promised to give them a child. But they've been waiting forever. And they're getting so old, almost, well, it was impossible already. So what did they decide to do? Take things, when you see this tonight, just tell me, take things into what? Our own hands. How'd that work out for them? What's happening today in the Middle East? We're still suffering for the decision that was made by Abraham and Sarah. That's where all the Middle East problems came. All of that still going on tonight because this happened. So please write this down and you'll understand the play and the word playing. But playing God, getting ahead of God, it never works. But we don't want to be too hard on Abraham and Sarah because we've been there. And we know it simply never works. Now, they failed the weight test. They failed the faith test. Now, go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. We'll just do a couple of these quick because it's good for you to 
when we see these people in the Old Testament, they're just like us. Exodus 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed, was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. By the way, that shows you how quickly your leadership can go down the tubes. So what happened? It's been 40 days since these people had seen Moses. They're impatient. So what are they going to do? Tell me what they're doing right here. What are they doing? They're taking things into what? Their own hands. How's that going to work for them? It's a total disaster. You know the history. We won't go into all that. But they failed that. Now, here's another key to right. Impatience is really unbelief. It's simply unbelief. It's not trusting God's timing. See, God's will always includes God's timing, and it's so easy for all of us to get ahead of God. Jeremiah 17.5 says, this is what the Lord says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength, and they turn their hearts away from the Lord. So impatience often leads to disobedience. It's not just that we get the timing wrong. We usually head out and do things that we should have never done in the first place. Obviously make idols, obviously bring another woman into your marriage. So God's timing is crucial in our walk. And it's easy for us, as we look from this situation, we can be pretty critical. But see, when we're in the heat of a decision and we're trying to figure out what to do, it's a little more difficult. So it's messy because we want to solve it and we want to get in there. Just turn with me for a moment to Acts chapter 7. Let's look at another one quickly. Acts chapter 7. Luke was giving us a history. And we go down to verse 24. Now, speaking of Moses... Obviously, earlier than we just read, but just another neat opportunity. Now, Moses, verse 24, saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And Moses, verse 25, thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue him, but they did not. So what happened to Moses here? Moses took things into his own hands. This was never God's plan, but it looked good to Moses. The opportunity was there. He was strong. He did it. Now, how disastrous was this for Moses? Well, how many years did he pay for that baby? Forty. Forty years in the wilderness because he got ahead of God. 40 years in the wilderness. Well, you're close by. Look at Acts 1.12. This was a good one. I was thinking about this a lot when I was in India. Acts 1.12. You remember just before this, in John and also in Luke, Jesus gets his disciples together just before he goes back to heaven, and he says to them, boys... I'm going to take the ministry, and it's going to be in your hands. So it is good. It's going to go in their hands. But he says, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to wait. You're going to go out to Jerusalem. You're going to have to go to the upper room and you're going to wait for God to come. You can't get ahead. You're going to have to wait. So to do that, 
Of course, they probably argued with themselves. We've been trained by you for three and a half years. Come on, why do we, we're ready to go. He said, no, 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 what I had, being filled with the Spirit, you're going to have to have. So look at verse 12, Acts 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk for the city. What did they do? They did exactly what God said. They didn't take it into their own hands. They went to the upper room and they waited. And what does Acts chapter 2 tell us? That the Spirit came and fell on them. And that was their way to begin to do what God wanted them to do. Now I thought of this. What if... What if those disciples hadn't waited? They would have gone into ministry in whose power? Theirs. Who knows what would have happened? We don't even know what the church would look like or where we'd be. So the next thing you want to write is important. If you and I expect to be led by God, we have to first be obedient. We have to first be obedient. We have to understand that when God gives us directions, he will give us the next direction but you have to be obedient first. You can't get ahead. You just can't get ahead of God. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight. I'm speaking to myself. But maybe there's specific things that you've been working through. So just understand that. It is hard to wait. We get excited. We've been there. We get fed up with the situation or the possibilities of something new. Man, let's go. Let's go. Let's make it happen. But if we try to make it happen, it's a disaster. So what do we learn? What do we learn from this? Just right here, David doing the right thing. Don't get ahead of God's timing. Don't be impatient. Don't take things into our own hands. And the last thing you want to write on this passage is this. Waiting on God brings blessing. But impatience, impatience will cost us. You've been there and I've been there. It will cost us. Now back to 1 Samuel 24 verse 5. Now afterward, David goes to the back of the cave. Saul doesn't even know what's happened, just puts his robe back on. He's kind of in the, in the dark, obviously. David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. So once again, we're introduced to this thing called our conscience. This moral sense of right and wrong that affects our thoughts, and then, of course, ultimately affects our behavior. It's kind of like that traffic light. It tells you when to start, stop, green, caution, red. All of this area, it's kind of like a moral traffic light. Now, here's the problem. Our conscience will tell us to do right, but it will not tell us what is right. So that comes from the Word of God. So you want to write this, you know this, but it's good for you to be reminded. To be effective, which David's is, our conscience must be programmed by the Word of God. That's why we study the Word of God. We're going through the principles over and over and over again. If you've been a Christian, you already understand waiting on God. But we also understand we've all not waited on God. We've all taken things in our own hands and we know what that looks like. So today, Pastor Mark taught about the importance of restraining yourself and waiting for God's timing for acting on His will for your life. David, although tempted by opportunity and his soldiers, didn't take their advice. Instead, he trusted God to accomplish His will on His timetable. 
David preserved his integrity and showed himself a good role model for his men. There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue teaching about the life of David. You'll learn more about how he trusted God and, as a result, continued to see God bless his life, even though his physical circumstances were still pretty poor. His band of misfits continued to grow, and God gave him more opportunities to show his men what godly leadership looked like. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, The Life of David. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.